0: How's it going, guys? You guys doing good? Man, these are just strange times, aren't they? But it's so good to see you guys in person. Uh, you know, like we say all the time, whether it's your first time uh, here in person or online, or you've been here, you're an OG, you've been here since the uh, the days when we were meeting at our house or CrossFit Tustin, man, welcome back, welcome to family. Uh, we're here for you if you have any questions. We're always uh, here for you. Call, text, email dm whatever you want to do we uh just reach out uh last last week we celebrated our second year birthday so happy second birthday if you missed that for whatever reason happy second birthday we don't believe that that as an organization we're just turning two years old we as a church family are turning two years old so uh happy birthday get yourself something nice on on you uh (laughs) Uh, hey, I think I think a few uh, big questions uh, we I want us to consider as we hop into this, uh, if, you're, if you're spending any time at voice, you know that we like to not just have a one sided kind of like TED talk. We like to start a conversation and kind of the way just, so you know, a little bit how my mind works, the way I like to prep sermons is I want to give you something to think about and talk about on the drive home. I want to mess with you a little bit. I want you to kind of leave a little disturbed, a little like going, okay, well, we have to do something about that, right? Or, you know, one of the things we believe on here is we want to challenge those who call themselves Christians to actually live as if that were true. Right? And sometimes that's a little disturbing, step on your toes kind of process. And so one of the ways we do that is we ask a lot of questions, not just give you mental assent to align to a few ideas. We want to challenge you to ask yourselves and ask your spouse and ask your friends questions. And so here's a few questions I think that we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. One is this, uh, who have you become? Who have you become? Not who do, who do people think you've become, not what is what do you project out there, uh, but who have you actually become in light of the th- decisions you've made, in light of the upbringing you've had, in light of things that have been done to you, good or bad? Who have you become? Second question, I think is uh, more important uh, because you have more control over it is who are you becoming? You've heard us ask asked you this before. Who are you becoming? Not who would you like to become, not what your vision board says you'll become, but In light of your current habits, if you were to copy and paste the last three weeks of your life over and over and over again uh, for the next few years, who are you actually becoming? Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, who are you actually becoming? So who have you become? Who are you actually becoming? And then how do you feel about that? That's the third question. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about who you've become? How do you feel about the person you are becoming? And then maybe a bonus question is, how do you think God feels about that? Maybe a bonus, bonus question would be, how do you feel about how God would feel about that? So there's 46 questions for you to think about. Who have you become? Who are you becoming? And then how do you feel about that? I'm, I thought about that a lot this week in light of our church family turning two years old. Now I went on, on many walks and that kind of thing, thinking about these in light of our church family. Who have we become as a church family? We had ideas about who we would become two years ago, three years ago when we started to launch the church. But now that we're two years in, who have we actually become? And then who are we becoming as a church? And I know there's all sorts of reasons of, well, we're in a pandemic and here's all these things happening. Okay, whatever. There's a lot of things outside of your control all the time. But the things you can control, who are we becoming as a church family? And then how do we feel about that? How do we feel about that? So I just wanted to I, – I wrote down a few words I think are you as a church. When I, when I say – Who we are as a church. I'm not talking about the branding, the Instagram image, the the you know that kind of thing. The church is us. Those that are watching online, those that are here in person, that's us. So let me give you a few words that I think represent you as a church. Why I'm so proud to not just lead this church. I'm proud to be part of this church. I'm proud to be. I'm proud to call this church home. Uh, First word. You guys are humble. You're humble. You don't have this, and a lot, a lot of my interactions with you guys are through social media, right? Because, you know, we're not like hanging out and hugging and everything right now. Uh, but a, a lot of what I see is this humility, not this arrogance, not this cockiness, not this uh, combative spirit, but I see this humility come through you guys. I just really appreciate that. I see kindness. You guys are kind. I know that this. As I was writing that down, I'm going. That has to be a God thing because me and my natural inclination, uh, especially pre Jesus, I'm not naturally a kind person. Any kindness in me is because God is real, right? And the kindness in you guys in this church uh, is what God is working in you. Third word there is hospitable. Hospitable. You guys are extremely hospitable. you got to know that there's so much of like if you guys were walked into a new gym, probably not recently. But if you walked into a new gym or you walked into a new church, you kind of get this sense of like you're walking into the lunchroom in high school, like first day of school, and you got your like, you know, your mediocre pizza or whatever, and you're looking around hoping someone will go come sit with me. Right? It's like a nerve-wracking few moments right? because you're like, am I going to sit outside by myself? And you got to realize when people are coming to the church for the first time, whether it be online or in person, they're feeling the same thing. You remember your first time at, at Voice, right, where you're just hoping someone goes, you're with me. Let's grab lunch afterwards. Let's grab dinner. Let's hang out. You're invited to my small group. And even if they say no to going to your small group, the fact that you invited them means a lot, right, so that when they're ready, they'll go there. But you're, his- you're hospitable. I just want to say thank you for that. Not only does that do good things for your heart to invite people into your world, it does so much for someone else that's new to the family to know that they're welcome. So you're humble, you're kind, you're hospitable. You're justice-driven was another big one, I thought, uh, represented you guys. You're justice-driven, not a certain um, party I'm not not, not talking about partisan politics. I'm talking about values. I'm talking about this idea that inherent within every single person you'll ever meet is someone that's just as valuable as you and just as valuable as me. That whether they look like you, their food smells the same or not, or they like the same things as you, they believe the same things as you or not, that they are as valuable as you are. And because of that, they deserve the same amount of equity and justice that you would want for yourself or you would want for your family that they deserve that too and i've seen you guys walk into this season um with a sense of justice that you're gonna do whatever you can to level the playing field even if that means that you come down a couple notches so thank you for that uh thank you i I thought of this one this is kind of a a christianese kind of term but in the world not of the world in the world not of the world I, i see that all the time when again when there's jets. The funny thing is, if you guys are watching online, you probably don't want to hear the jets at all. But for those of us that are here, we feel like we're on the jet, actually. It's really loud. Anyways, so this idea of in the world, not of the world, right? Some of you guys that grew up in Christian like youth groups, you guys are like, yes, I got the t-shirt. But what that really means is when I look at your social media especially, I see there's you're always hanging out with people. And I'm like, I don't know them. It must be a co-worker or a friend or an old college buddy or something. And what that tells me is that you are in the world, but you have a very much a Christ-centered approach to life. And the reason why that's important, just just on the same page, I spent enough time in church leadership to see a pattern. And what happens many times is someone starts coming to the church. And at that point, most of their friendships are non-church people, right? Because they're new to the church. And what happens is they go to Monday night this, Tuesday night this, Thursday night this, Saturday night this. And before you know, within six months to a year, all their friendships have shifted to only church people. And what's really interesting is then when you ask that person, go influence people for Christ, well, who? All I know are church people. And so there's this balance where you want to stay connected to the people that God has you connected with because God has you connected for a reason. Not to, like, beat them over the head with the Bible, but there's a reason why that relationship is there. Maybe you can be a voice of hope in that relationship, leading them to Jesus at the appropriate time but also connect to the church. So you're in the world, not of the world. That's, I think it's, that marks you guys. I think wisdom marks you guys. I see that over and over again with you, that you are experts in your different fields. And it's so fun that even there's so many times where Nally and I lean into your wisdom and ask for your strength and your input on things. Yes. That's amazing. Here, here's a soul wall. Everyone that's here, just go back and watch this later. It's like it's not even happening. It's the trippiest thing. Okay, anyways, I'm a little distracted tonight. Um, it's the ADHD. Okay, and then the, the last one, and it's not, yeah, it's, it's just teachable. It's just teach. You guys are teachable. And you would think that's, someone that's teachable, you're like, well, what other posture would I have? I'm telling you guys, I'm sure you guys have seen this and adjusted your social media, who you follow and who you're not because of this. There's a way you can approach a situation, especially if it's not your experience. And you can say, well, I don't understand it. I don't I don't want to understand it. I'm going to tell them what I think. And that's one way to approach it. Another way to approach it is I don't understand it. Would you take the time to help me understand? I want to see what it's like to be in your shoes. I want to know even a glimpse of what it was like to have your experience. Could you help me? Could you teach me? Could you tell me what books to read, what podcasts to listen to, what movies to watch so I can understand what it's like to have lived through your shoes and i see that over and over again with you guys this this spirit of teachability and so i just want to thank you all those things are who we are as a church and it makes me proud to be part of this church we tell our kids all the time that you know as we're talking to their their middle school high school we, we talk about what's what they want to be in the future and that kind of thing as someone that is kind of uh crystallizing a little bit at their stage of life and what we tell them over and over again is we don't care what you end up doing Like we just want you to make an impact in this world, make a dent in this universe, but we care more about who you are than what you do. We care more about the kind of person that you are. So if you're a a doctor, be the doctor with character and concern and justice and love and joy and hope. If you're a business person, if you run a car wash, it doesn't matter what you do. I care less about what you do and I care more about who you are. I care less about how much you make and I care more about how much you give. I care less about how fruitful you are by worldly standards, and I care more about how faithful you followed Christ. Like, these are the conversations we have with our kids. I don't care how much you know. And this is an, an important conversation with our kids nowadays because they can Google anything. Like, you're in, you don't have to memorize anything. You just have to ask, I'm not going to say the, the AI's name because then all your phones will ring up, right? So, like, you just ask your phone whatever question, and then information comes. But here's the problem. You can think that just because I know information means I'm actually living it out. Just because I've memorized a thing means I've actually done something different. I posted a black square, so I'm ending racism. No. I know the history of this or this that happened in this city, so that means I'm part of the change. No. And so you actually live differently. It really doesn't matter what you know. What matters is what you apply. That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied. And so... It's the same with the the church. Look, I don't care how big we get, guys. You got to know from my heart, some of you guys have, we've had this conversation before. I don't care how big we get. I care about the kind of church that we are. I I don't care if we're thousands of people if God so leads us that way. As long as we're a certain kind of church, as long as I can say that we're still kind and teachable and loving and hope-filled and justice-driven and Jesus-centered and humble, if we can do that and, and be a, a, a certain size, then that's awesome. There's large churches that are great, and there's large churches that are off mission. There's small churches that are great, and there's small churches that are off mission. The number of people in a church says one thing. It says the number of people in a church. It doesn't say anything about the kind of church that you are. And what's so funny about that is I've had countless conversations with you guys. Some of you guys are like, I'm so glad I, I got a part of voice at this stage. I love that it's smaller, and I can't wait to see God grow the church. And then there's some of you guys that are like, I'm so glad I'm part of voice at this stage. I love that small, and I hope we never grow. It's like, okay, okay. Here's how how much bigger I want to get as a church. At least one more. That's it. At least one more person. Because your coworker, your friend, the, the person on the sports team, the person in the cubicle next door, the person in the apartment or house next door, that God may you use you to reach them. Let's do that. And then one more and one more, and we'll go uh, from there. So I just want to say, Voice Church, whether you're watching online, you're in person, well done. Well done. I really believe that God would look at us and say, well done. You're good and you're faithful. You're weird, but you're good and you're faithful. So with that, hey, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Last week, we had uh, our second year birthday service and then this week we're going to pick up where we left off uh and it's it's a weird one it really is a weird one so we're going to kick it right off luke chapter 11 verse 14 uh we're going through the gospel of luke as you know because we've been doing it for over a year now uh luke chapter 11 <laughs> we're about halfway through it's pretty fantastic uh we'll hopefully we'll see if we get if we get out of quarantine or we get done with the gospel of luke first it's going to be a, it's going to be pretty close uh so uh, Luke chapter 11 verse 14. It says that one day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who could not speak, and when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. So Jesus healed this man who couldn't speak. Uh, the crowds were amazed. Verse 15. But some of them said, "No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, okay, the prince of demons." Verse 16. Others tried to test Jesus. Demanded uh, others trying to test Jesus demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. So here's what happens. Jesus does a miracle. And the initial response is, dang, that's so cool, right? There was amazement. There was this wow. And then once that start, starts to bubble over, a couple other responses come to the surface. The first response is, yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is what it appears to be. I think there's more to the story. I don't buy it, right? I think he's doing this by Satan's power, which Jesus then re- debunks in a minute. And then the second group of people goes, maybe, maybe. Maybe. Let's see more. Let's do more miracles. You may have done this miracle, but let's see you do more miracles. And I think it's the same way we approach miracles today, depending on where you're at. You got to know for me, I'm naturally a skeptic. I remember when I first went to this charismatic church back in 1995, when I first started going to church, like for real, i on like my own terms, the, this guy was praying, and he guys spending time in charismatic church. A lot of times people would like fall over. You know what I mean? You guys go to those kind of churches. And everyone would be praying, and I remember going, okay, yeah, pray for me. And I would get in my judo stance. I'd say, go ahead, pray for me. You're not going to knock me over. If I'm going to fall over, it's me because I got right? That's my natural tendency, right? And I still have that uh, part of me. So when someone will say... I, told, I say, I come out here and I say, last week, so-and-so was healed. I think overall, be like, that is so amazing. And then there's going to be some of us that go, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't think they ever canceled in the first place. No, there's more to the story, right? There's, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think you're not telling the whole thing. Have them get checked again just to make sure they weren't just feeling better that day, right? There'd be some skeptics. I think I would probably be in that group a lot of times, and then my wife and God would correct me. My bad heart. But I think that'd be some of us. I think there's some of us that would go, maybe, maybe let's see it happen again. I want to see the next person get healed, right? This is kind of an insidious one because I think what we can tend to do is we can say, okay, God took care of his last situation, but this situation he cannot take care of. Some of us may be in situations like this right now where you're going, God took care of this last problem I was in relationally or physically or health or finances or God took care of this career move or God got us out of this mess before. But this time, this time, I don't think, I, I don't know if I'm honest, I don't know if God can do it. That's pretty normal. And i tell you what, man, for me as a pastor, you gotta know I struggle with this because I feel like it took an enormous amount of energy and miracle, I mean, mir- miracle after miracle after miracle for us to get off the ground as a church. But even in this season, I've had multiple prayer walks even just this week going, God, are we ever going to have a a place to call home? I mean, like we're homeless as a church. There's better, There's I mean, there's worse ways to be homeless. I mean, this is pretty awesome. I'm I'm super grateful for this season that we get to do this. Uh, But we're homeless as a church. And I keep on thinking, okay, God, you took care of all these miracles. But God, can you do this one too? Because getting a facility, getting a building in Orange County is like, it costs you 14 kidneys. You know what I mean? Like this, it just isn't. We need a miracle, and God's like, "Yeah, but I can, I can do this." So how about you? Where you at with that whole thing? When, and when, when, it comes to miraculous God intervening? Because if, if we don't believe in a God of miracles, what we can easily become. It's just we believe in a God who wants me to be good, who wants just me, me to be nice. But we have to believe in a supernatural side of all this. So how about you? Verse 17, he says this. So. They told him, you know, I don't know if you can do it. Verse 17, it says that he knew their thoughts. So he said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. So they accused him of healing people by Satan's power, which is weird. And then Jesus goes, come on, come on, guys. You know, you're smarter than that. Come on, guys. That's a a ridiculous argument. A kingdom, an entire kingdom divided by civil war will implode. And if you go down to the smallest measurement, a family that is splintered by feuding will fall apart. You cannot have a divided house, whether it be a a family or as large as a country. It cannot be divided. And he says, verse 18, you say I'm empowered by Satan. But come on, guys. But if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? Your argument makes no sense. Then he says, verse 19, And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. What he's saying here is, your argument doesn't make sense. What's the real issue you're trying to get to, guys? And then he cuts to the quick on verse 20, and he really nails it on the head of what the real issue here is. He says, but. And whenever Jesus sets up an argument and then says, but, you need to listen in, because he's about to flip the whole thing on its head. And he says this, verse 20, But if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. If I'm re- but if I am doing this thing by the power of God, then when we talk about what kingdom was. Kingdom is the reign and rule of God. So if, if I am healing people by the power of God, then the kingdom of God, the reign and rule, the authority of God is here among you right here, right now. And there are serious implications if that's true. And then he says in verse 21, he goes on, for when a strong man is fully armed, guards in his palace, his possessions are safe. Then when someone who thinks he's strong, because these guys would not have had that cocky, arrogant, condescending tone with Jesus unless they thought they were better than him. They could out-argue him, even though their argument was ridiculous, which he pointed out. There was a sense of cockiness and pride and temporal mightness, And what Jesus says is, look, when you are a strong man or you think you're a strong man and you're armed and you have guards in your palace, your possessions are safe, which is you guys feel safe right now. Not you guys, but them. Verse 22, until you guys feel safe until, verse 22, someone even stronger attacks And overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. And what Jesus is saying here is, if I'm healing people by the power of God, then the kingdom of God is among you. And you think you're safe, the stronger person has arrived. So, he thinks, he says, you you think you're safe because you've checked all the boxes. You try to shut me down with paper arguments, but no matter how safe and secure you feel, it's temporary. Just fast forward 100 years, how tough are you going to be? 50 years, how tough are you going to be? 1,000 years, how tough are you going to be? Your limited strength that you even feel strong right now is so temporary. They thought they were arguing with a man, and they found out they were not. Think about that. What Jesus was saying was, if I am who I say I am, If I'm and I'm going to prove who I am, but if I am who I say I am, there are serious repercussions. And this is what we this is what we bring up all the time around voice. If Jesus is who He says He is, if Jesus is who He says He is, then there are some serious repercussions. There are some serious implications that we need to rally around. It's not about going to church. It's not about cussing less. It's not about putting some money in an offering bucket. We don't even do offering buckets, but it's, there are some serious implications if God is, if Jesus is who he says he was. And when he said that the thing about the strong man coming in taking all your possessions, that's a throwback to Babylon. If you remember King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon took over Jerusalem, burned it to the ground, killed the king and the king's family. This is a throwback has happened not too long before this. And then he goes on to say, verse 23, and anyone who isn't with me opposes me. This is warfare talk. This is battle talk. He says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. That there's not this neutral territory. He says, if you aren't with me, you're against me. So where do you stand? Where do you stand? And what's so wild is they were just interrogating him. And through these few verses, he flipped it around and now there on the witness stand. They're the ones that are ha- that have to answer the questions. They're the ones that are on trial. And Jesus talked with this idea that there's two agendas. There's the Jesus-centric, God-centric agenda. And he says, if you want to stand with me, stand with me. But if you're not with me, you're against me. Now, that doesn't mean that you become a Satanist and you're like, you know, trying to capture your neighbor's cats or something. You know, you're not doing anything weird, but what you're saying is even unintentionally, If you're not following Jesus and putting your everything you have to further his agenda, then you're actually working for the agenda of the enemy. It's that binary in Jesus's eyes. And then he goes on in verse 24, and this is where it gets a little trippy. He says, When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I'll return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept in an order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. And then this lady says something interesting. We'll come back to that because I can only say that verse once and you'll understand why later. So, so that what they believed was evil spirits lived in the desert. Now, okay, just so we're on the same page. Part of the, going through the Gospel of Luke is, is to walk through um, just how to process Scripture, right? Not just read the Bible, read the Bible well, right? And when, do I believe that evil spirits live in the desert? No. I don't believe God believes that, but the people believe that. In the same way that Jesus or God became as a man, as Jesus, for us to have handles, that we could understand, in the same way— He's like, they believe evil spirits are in the desert. That's not even the big conversation. Let's go, let's go down to their level to give them handles of what they're going to talk about here. So here's, that's what he says. Hey, Benji. So they believe evil spirits when in the desert. So some people believe that what Jesus is talking about here is the man possessed by the devil, saying that if you you tell, tell the, the demon to leave someone, evil spirit to leave somebody, they're going to come back seven times stronger if you don't replace kind of that void in that person's heart. I think what he's talking about is a much broader thing that affects you and me. Last time I checked, I don't think the majority of us have been possessed by an evil spirit, right? Maybe, maybe not. But I think the majority of us have not. I think what he's talking about is creating a spiritual vacuum, and we as Christians can do this all the time. When I started going to church back in 94, there was this kind of idea that you go to church, become a Christian, then you stop doing all these things right? Stop listening to that. Stop talking to that person. Stop hanging out with those people. Stop drinking that. Stop doing those things with those people. Stop smoking that. Stop Stop watching that. Stop doing all that stuff. Just stop it, right? But what happens? What happens is that creates a vacuum, right? And I'm not saying it's bad to stop doing that stuff, but what it does, is it creates a vacuum. And now you're dependent on willpower to try to create new habits. That doesn't work neurologically, if you understand how our our brain and our synapses work how synaptic highways work that doesn't work cuz you'll always go back to old habits but you've seen like sci-fi so you've seen like backdraft right when there's a vacuum what happens right when when you are in a like a, the starship enterprise and the hull has a hole in it what happens people get sucked out into space into the vacuum right this this is biblical right so it 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 vacuums want to be filled and it's the same way with you if you're told don't do something what do you want to do you want to do that thing, right? Like I remember I was in a hotel in, in Florida and I was walking down the hallway. I never thought about touching the wall. Why would I touch the wall at the, at the hotel? But there was a sign along the rail saying, wet paint. Don't touch. Well, now I want to touch it. Right? <laughs> like I didn't want it to before, but not so I touched it. Right? And sure enough, it was it was wet. Right. And there's like a little tack of fingerprint right there in, in the in the banister. Right? Now so it's it's the same thing. Garden of Eden. Don't eat that fruit. What's the fruit they want to eat? The one fruit they weren't supposed to. It's the same way with all of us. And we, I see it happen all too often. Someone will come to church, become radically saved, and go like 100 miles an hour the other way. You've you seen this? They, they change their friendships. They change their music. They change their movies. And what happens, it's a few weeks, a few months maybe, and they're back worse than they were before, further away from God than they ever were before. When it comes to spiritual development, spiritual growth, it's much slower than that. Think slow cooker, not microwave. And this is what Jesus is talking about. That's why I love when people are like, what do I need to do? Give me a model for how I pursue God. I always go back to 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, flee the evil desires of youth. In other words, stop doing bad stuff, right? Okay, so flee will the e- flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, joy, and peace, right? Stop doing bad things. Pursue Righteousness, love, joy. When I'm trying to unpack what those are, righteousness, love, joy, and peace. And then it says this part important. Important is along with those who pursue God out of a pure heart. So what it says here: flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, love, joy, and peace in community with others that are pursuing God too. My guess. Is if you're feeling stagnant in your spiritual walk right now, if you're going, I feel disconnected from God, I feel disconnected from community, I'm not growing spiritually, it comes out to one of these three things. Are there things in your heart that you need to be fleeing from that you're being friends with? Right? You need to, the, the, the Holy Spirit in your heart has, has said flee. Stop doing those things, but you're kind of buddy-buddy with those things. Or is it because you're not pursuing the right things? You're not fleeing the right things or you're not pursuing the right things. Or this is the big one, especially in this season of quarantine and pandemic, is are you in biblical community? Are you in community? And if you're not, you're going to feel disconnected from community. Right? It kind of makes a whole lot of sense. And then it goes on in verse uh, 29. This is a little trippy too. It says, as a as crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. He's like, he's like, you guys are always looking for signs. But he's, then he says, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is Jonah was in the fish, the whale. Some of us in our Bible says whale, but he was in the fish for three days and then came out. And that was a sign. That was a come a foreshadowing, a precursor to Jesus dying and being raised to death on the third day. Right? So he says, the only sign I will give them is a sign of Jonah. What happened to him, talking about Jonah, was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be. So Jesus knows this is going to happen to him. These people are listening are clueless of what he's talking about. He says what happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. Then he goes back on verse 31 to a story in the Old Testament where the queen of Sheba went to Solomon and wanted to learn about God, right? She recognized that his wisdom came from God. So it says, verse 31, the queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land, all the way from Egypt, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But now someone is someone greater than Solomon is here and you refuse to listen. Look, even a pagan like the queen of Sheba listened to Solomon and I'm greater than Solomon but you to listen to me and it says verse 32 the people of Nineveh the people at Jonah was called to reach the people of Nineveh will also stand up against the generation on judgment day and condemn it for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah now someone greater than Jonah is here but you refuse to repent and this is what Jesus is saying you want a sign that I am who I say I am It'll be the sign of Jonah. You'll see it. I know it doesn't make sense right now, but you will see it. And the queen of Sheba and Nineveh will stand against you because they had less of a sign and they still repented and worshiped God. So where do we go from here? If worship wants to come up, we'll sing one last song uh, together. I have three questions. You know know me, I got three questions for you. I want you to think about. One, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Jesus talked about how a nation divided cannot stand neither can a soul a nation divided can't stand a family divided cannot stand and your soul divided cannot stand now more than ever there's so many things calling for your attention especially of all places in orange county asking you to be discontent asking you to not be happy with what you have and to pursue this instead where do you stand is your soul divided is your soul integrated or is your soul disintegrated? Is it divided? Where do you stand? Not mentally, but practically. Not like, well, I go to church. I have a Christian teacher. I have a JD bracelet. Not talking about that. How do you actually live? Not what do you give mental assent to? Not what do you attend? How do you actually live? one way to think about it is if an alien we're watching X-Files right now so aliens are top of mind for me so if an alien were to come uh, you guys are realizing I'm a sci-fi nerd so if aliens were to come and watch the way you lived if they were to watch how you spend your time your energy your stress what you put stress to your, your, your money what you spend money on would they believe your focus is to stand with Jesus and further his agenda would they come to that conclusion where do you stand Where would your actions say that you stand? So that's the first question. Where do you you stand? Number two, what needs to leave? What needs to leave? What are things that you've allowed to live in your heart that need to leave? And here's the thing. No, what you'll never see from Jesus is condemnation. Even the woman that was caught in adultery, super awkward situation, right? Jesus doesn't say, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. He goes, okay, they don't condemn you. Neither do I, but quit it. Go and sin no more, right? So where do you stand? What needs to leave? What things in your heart that you've allowed to live need to leave your heart? And then last one, three, what needs to be lived out? What needs to be lived out? In other words, what practices do you need to implement in your life to create a full spiritual life and not a vacuum? If you feel any tension of like, man, I just feel like it's willpower of like, stop doing this, stop doing this. Okay, what are you starting, right? So you may not do that thing on Friday nights you used to do because you realize it's a bad habit, right? Okay, what are you replacing it with? What's a positive thing you can replace it with? I want to end by going back to the one verse that it's a little awkward, but as he says, uh, Yeah, okay, so he talks about the the person who the the evil spirit leaves and comes back and he's worse off than before. And then it's verse 27, it says, as he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out. Okay, this is one of those moments where we're just not not gonna skip over anything the Bible says as we go through the gospel of Luke. So as he was speaking, (laughs) a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the womb from which you came and the breast that nursed you. Welcome back, guys. If you uh, were checked out there for a second, welcome back. And carrying on Verse 28 Jesus replied Sure My mom's awesome She's blessed Oliver's blessed But Jesus replied But even more blessed Are all who, those who hear the word of God And put it into practice So as awesome as Jesus' as mom is Jesus is saying Yes, yeah, she's blessed But do you know who's actually more, even more blessed? Those who hear the word of God And live it out would we be a church that we don't hear things like this and go, yeah, I don't want to do that. I'm going to say I do that, but I'm not actually going to do that. Could we wrestle with this and go, man, what needs to change? If this were true, then what needs to change about how I spend my time? What needs to change about how I navigate my relationships? What needs to change about how I spend the money that God has given me or the influence that God has given me? What needs to change? So let me pray uh, for us and, uh, We'll close out. Next week uh, is gonna be it's gonna be really, really good. I think Natalie is speaking uh, next week, so we'll have a good sermon finally. So let me let me pray for us and then we'll stand together and sing one last song. God, we just thank you. God, thank you for the hard teachings, even at times confusing teachings. God, we wanna be people that truly further your agenda. Jesus, you said that if anyone is not for you, working with you, working along your agenda that we're against you god i pray would it never be said about us would it be obvious and clear that voice church is with you not just with our words but with our lives that all of us who call voice church home, all of us that call ourselves christ followers that we really would follow you god god help us to not just say things and live differently help us not just to sing worship songs that are lies because we're not willing to live them out give us the grace and encouragement and and strength and perseverance to live out what you've called us to live, because we know when we live that kind of life, that's where fulfillment and joy and hope, and ultimately decades from now, when we're breathing our last breath, that's the kind of life we will have wanted to have lived. So help us to live that way.